I'm not going to be apologetic either. We're not going to catch the start of the Cowboy game today. As much as I'd like to see it, I've got something that I feel the Lord's put on my heart and knowing from history, he usually drops a few more things on along the way. And I'm not in any rush, are you? (laughs) Good. In fact, when you feel that urge, especially if you have a fantasy football team, to look at your phone and check your score, check the Sports Center app, you know, just keep it in your pocket and treat that as an act of worship that you're just basically saying, you know what, my affection is greater to the one who has saved me than to my phone and my entertainment. <clears throat> We're blessed, guys, for all the reasons already thought about. We're also blessed because there are a ton of acorns out there. It is the fall. And if you don't know it, I have this affinity for acorns. I love them. I have, I'm not kidding when I say I've crunched hundreds of acorns this week already, and they just keep coming. I know it's the fall when the acorns show up, and I know it's the fall when pumpkin spice latte stuff starts showing up everywhere. Like everything's, everything's pumpkin spice. I don't, I don't know why, but it happens. And uh, it's, uh, I definitely know it's the fall. The weather doesn't really trigger it for us. It's, it could still be 100. So I want to read something to you. I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we devote this time to you, to the opening of your word, to the study of it. We want to receive, so open up our ears, open up our hearts, our minds, so that we can receive. Not just so we can receive and hold on to it and and never let it out, but so that we can then let it shape our thoughts and our words and our actions. So, Lord, we open up. We're like, we're making ourselves available because we know you're not going to corrupt us. You're going to bless us. You're going to encourage us. You're going to inspire us. You're going to fix us. You're going to transform us. You're doing all this. And so we open ourselves up to your word and ask that you would transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 121 is what I read, and it is a psalm of ascent. There's actually a grouping, 15 psalms, Psalm 120 to 134, which are called the psalms of ascent. And ascent, like the word ascension, is just to climb or to walk up, to walk up the hill, to walk up the mountain. It was that they were actually sung by the Jews as they would go back to Jerusalem on pilgrimage to worship, because many of them lived outside of Jerusalem, so they would go back often three times a year, sometimes less, but they would go back to worship. And so they would sing these as they ascend the hills to get closer and closer to Jerusalem. The psalm is about a single journey, and yet it becomes a parallel or a parable for life's journey. And so the truths that are talked about in this psalm, 121, you'll see the psalmist then open it up a little bigger. And it's not just about this journey, because it was sung on a journey. Like they very real, a real journey. They really were walking. They really were climbing rocks. They really were going over hills. They really were singing these songs. And they were, it was talking about this journey and all these promises that are on this journey. But then they had to journey home, and then they had life 
afterwards, and so it's a, it's a parable for life's journey. Psalm 121 is called the Traveler's Psalm, and there's a whole lot to it, and I'm not pretending to know all of it. There's a whole lot to it, and so I want us to dig in. But first, if I've ever prayed for you up here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night or in my office or at your house or at an event, if I've ever prayed for you, there's a really good chance at some point I've quoted Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. The part where it says, and usually I would change the words from I to we, I would say, we lift up our eyes to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Because sometimes when I'm praying with you guys, your problem is so big and is so tricky and and, and, and twisted up that I don't even know what to pray sometimes. And just like we talked about earlier, Brent was saying, Brent was saying, you know, we just, we just the, the groans and the utterances and, the, and the, the war cries. Sometimes when I'm praying, I just find myself praying this. And basically I'm just saying, Lord, just help. Because I don't really know, but just help. And, uh, and I think it's an it's appropriate way to pray. This psalm is about help. And the Bible says a whole lot of stuff about help. Pastor Des has in the past compared the actions of the sailors passing ropes underneath the ship uh, that Paul was on in Acts chapter 27. He's, this is a picture of God's help to us. He's, they wrapped the ropes around the ship and, uh, and, it would, and it kept it together. Pastor Des has taught many a time on how uh, he, God does that for us. He wraps ropes around us to hold us Together. That Paul trip on, in Acts uh, 27, Paul was in this two-week-long storm. I mean, storm of all storms. It just kept going and going and going, and eventually there was a shipwreck. Yet, the boat held together, and God's going to hold us together. Uh, and so Des teaches on that. Um, Hebrews 2 and 18, a lot of times he'll, he'll jump back and touch 2.18 and also 4.16 to describe this kind of help for us. And since we're talking about help this morning, I wanted to read these scriptures Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's encouraging. Let me read it again. Because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help us when we're tempted. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This morning, I'm going to tell you where we're going. At the very end, I want, to, I want to come back to these two verses because I want us to receive the help that we can receive from the Lord this morning. I want us to, if, you're find your, if you find yourself tempted, if you find yourself in need, this is where we're coming back to, these, these verses in Hebrew. But we're going to be talking mainly out of Psalm 121. So as we look at the verses of Psalm 121, I want you to recognize the type of help that God offers. And if there's something that he offers... That you didn't know, praise God, receive it. All right? You might see something in today's teaching that you're like, I didn't know he did that. Receive it. But if there's also there's something that he offers that you don't believe that he could possibly still offer it to you, then I want you to strike that thought and align your expectations of the Lord with the word of God. We have to align our life with the word of God. We have to align our expectations of the Lord with the word of God. So is that fair? So as we look through it, align yourself with the word of God. These are promises to us. And so folks, let me just tell you, if we're going to be talking about help, let me just tell you the Lord is our helper. Uh, okay, I know I'm not a preacher, but I could use a little help every once in a while. 
Everybody say, the Lord is our helper. All right, say, the Lord is my helper. All right, we're going to look at Psalms 121, the Psalm of help. And we are absolutely in need of help. Are you in need of help? I am too. Individually, yes. Nationally, help, yes. All right. First, first, let's look at the individual need. I hate to say it, but you guys need help. You're all getting older. We're all getting older. We all need help. Our bodies are breaking down. You're like, Josh, what do you know about bodies breaking down? I know, but if we're getting older, our finances can run out. Our strength can waver. We got kids to raise. It's a challenge. We got parents to take care of. That's a challenge for many of you. We need help. Amen? Nationally, though, it gets worse. Our courts are redefining words that further make us candidates for God's wrath. Our culture is growing more and more violent, vile, promiscuous, and shameless each and every day. Our people are being discriminated against still based on God-given traits and characteristics like gender and appearance, age, ethnicity, still happening. Our national debt is rising. The number of aborted children is rising. The number of humans being trafficked is rising. The threat of terroristic activity is rising. Is anything falling? Well, yes, a few things are falling. I'm glad you asked. Church attendance is falling. Don't say amen to that. Okay. Let me give you a little quick. That was a good amen. I appreciate the amen. Keep it coming. I, I'm a te- Okay, but amen means let it, let, it, let it be. I don't want that to continue. But, but keep on amen when I need it. All right, church attendance is falling. Not at Bethesda. We're actually growing here, but nationally it's falling. Re- respect for the word of God is falling. The desire for holy living as Pastor Dan referenced earlier, is falling. The number of qualified candidates to lead our nation seems to be falling. We are in a mess. We are in a mess. And we need help. And I've noticed that when you're in a mess and when you need help, and uh, I've also noticed that something else falls. A lot of times our heads fall. They tend to fall whenever you're in a mess. You just, they fall. And, uh, but Psalm 121 Starts out with, lift up your eyes to the hills, for whence cometh your help. Psalm 121 brings us hope. Psalm 121 points us to help. Psalm 121 should instill confidence to believers of God's tireless care for us. Psalm 121 should, let me say it again, should instill confidence to you that God tirelessly cares for you. Okay? a great psalm, and we're going to look at it pretty closely. This is an expository message, which basically means that we're going to go verse by verse by verse by verse. You'll notice that they kind of come in pairs, one and two, then three and four, then five and six, and then seven and eight. So we're going to start with verse one and two. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 121. I want to encourage you guys to bring your Bible, like the real Bible, and I will tell you why, not just so you can show up with it. It is a help. I know we put scripture up on the board, and that helps as well. But let me tell you something else I want you to start doing if you haven't started already. In your Bible, unless you are just between you and the Lord, not cool with this idea, I want you to write some notes today. 
I want you to circle some things, highlight some words, write a little personal, this is how it applies to me kind of stuff, because then I want you, what I want you to do is, after you do that for about a year, in your quiet time, and, in your, and each time you hear a message, I want you to then turn around, and at the appropriate time, I want you to give it to a grandchild, or to a child, or to a, a person that you're like, you know what, I wanna share something of value. And don't be surprised if they don't take it and actually regard it as pretty cool. Don't be so surprised. I know the one I'm working out, not this one here that I'm doing today, I'm doing the ESV today, but the, my, my Bible that I've been, that I've been like, devoted to for years and years, that one's going to Bennett, probably at 12, when we'll do some kind of rite of passage kind of thing, and you'll get that Bible, Bennett, and it's got years and years and years and years of notes. And to be honest with you, I, like, I wouldn't take $1,000 for it. Like, it's, it, is, it is beat up, but there's stuff in there from Pastor Dan and Pastor Des, and there's stuff in there from some of you. You're in my office, and I'm supposed to be counseling you, and you say something brilliant, and I write it down. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of stuff in there, stuff from quiet times, and, and you're going to get it. And so what you're going to do is you're going to get to see inside your dad and see inside of me and say, okay, he wrestled with that, and I wrestled with that. that he thought that was cool, and I thought that was cool. You know? And it's a, it's a good way to be transparent, especially for us guys who have trouble with our words anyway. This is a great way to get your, get your thoughts out. So dads, granddads, everybody, you're, uh, you're now ordered to do that. All right, verse 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When in Israel this summer, I stood in the city of David. Now, the city of David is a very small part of Israel today. It's a little sliver. looks like a thumb on the map of Israel today. But it's where the city was not 2,000 years ago whenever Christ was there, but 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ in the 10th century B.C. It's what the city was. And on both sides of the city are sharp uh, slopes, very military-friendly, uh, you know, to protect the city. Both sides are slopes, and then they rise up to, uh, to higher hills. So as I was in Israel, I stood in the city of David where the pilgrims would have worshipped at the temple. And I saw what Psalms 125 verse 2 told me that I'd see. Psalm 125 verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. I saw it. Now, in contrast with that view, several years ago, my wife and I went on a little Mediterranean cruise for our anniversary, and we saw Athens. And uh, we, when you got into the city of Athens, we looked up and we saw the biggest thing out there was the Acropolis, which is the word for the hill. It's made of marble, it's a big old pretty hill, and right on top of it is the Parthenon, very, very famous structure, temple to a god, the very highest place. That's not so in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the mountains, the hills, the bigger hills actually surround the hill which the temple's on, which is interesting. Usually we put, like, humans put, like, the important thing on top. You know, like, they put the, the temple on top, but not, not God. He actually surrounded his temple with higher hills, which is really, really interesting. It has a point to it. So when you climb to the city of David, you're higher than the city, kind of like I'm higher than you, but I'm surrounded by higher hills, kind of like the balcony is higher than even me, which is interesting. I think it's because, well, I'll get to that in a second. So again, verse 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice the question mark after verse 1. 
Some translations don't have the question mark. You could preach a pretty good sermon either way. I like the question mark personally. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Question mark. What that tells me is the psalmist has options at this point. Where does my help come from? Hmm. Well, it could be the Lord. Or it could also be the hills. I looked at the hills. Wow, they're strong, stronger than me. Maybe pantheism. That's just another word for gods and everything. And we worship everything, the trees and the hills. And I believe God created everything, but I don't believe that that hill is God. Maybe maybe pantheism is a second option. Maybe maybe whenever the the kings of old would... uh, do poorly, you know, and sometimes it says the kings did good in the eyes of the Lord, and sometimes they did bad, and most of them did bad, and up north, all of them did bad, but in the southern kingdom, some of them did good. Maybe when it says that they built altars in the high places, maybe when some of these pilgrims would come through, they would lift their eyes to the hills and have to ask themselves, where does my help come from? Is it the God who made heaven and earth, or is it the God of Baal? with his altar up there on the hill, just outside of Jerusalem? Or is it the Asherah pole? Maybe it's that God, or maybe it's another one that they had. So the high places, a lot of times in the scriptures, you'll see the high places being built. And the good kings would tear them down, but the bad kings would build them and leave them up. And so some of the pilgrims, when they would come through Jerusalem to worship, when they literally looked to the hills, they noticed options. And I want to tell you guys today that you've got options too. It's important to realize that in a day of Obamacare and healthcare providers, you have healthcare provider options as well. God, oh yeah. You've also got your family. You've also got your friends. You've also got your wealth, your ingenuity, your hard work. You, got, you make a long list of options to where you're going to get your help. Now, some of those things in that little list is actually, are actually pretty good, pretty good thing. I mean, I'm glad. I thank God for family and friends and, and provision and finances, all that stuff. It just can't be my helper, a capital H helper. It can't be my God. It, it can, has to kind of fall into place. So you've got option. The, the psalmist chooses the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Not just any Lord. Lots of gods, little g. But he chooses God, big G, the maker of heaven and earth. And I don't think we should just blow right by that little statement of maker of heaven and earth. I think whenever we read it, we're like, yeah, God, God, maker of heaven and earth. Okay, what's verse 3? No, I think we should sit on that for a second. In fact, I'll sit on this way too long at the expense of some other things I'll have to leave out later. But the maker of heaven and earth, have you noticed how awesome heaven and earth is? Like, we don't even see the heaven, like the one he's talking about, but the heavens, I mean, the stars and the galaxies and the, wow. Have you watched the Discovery Channel ever? I mean, wow. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's just amazing. And so I wanted to just kind of, Tickle your ears a little bit with some, some facts here. If the earth were made bigger, now we know God made it. He made it how he wanted to make it. He made it the size he wanted to make it. But if the earth were made bigger, did you know that toxic gases wouldn't leave our atmosphere? And we would die. All right? Toxic gases that we're talking about have a molecular weight of 16 and 17. Don't even pretend like I know what that means but I read it in a book. <clears throat> Toxic gases have a, a weight, and if, it, if the earth were bigger, the gravitational pull would hold them in. It would be stronger, and it would hold those things in. But it's not bigger. 
it's the size it should be. If the earth were smaller, water vapor with a molecular weight of 18, toxic gas is 16, 17, water vapor 18. If, it were, if the earth were smaller, its gravitational pull would be a little bit less and water vapor would just float away. Water's a big deal. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like, I mean, we, we're really lucky. We're lucky that it's just the size that it is. Lucky, really lucky. So uh, it's interesting, 16, 17, 18. It's got to fall right in that little perfect spot, and it does. Woo! Can anybody say we're lucky? <laughs> Scarlett, we feeling lucky? <laughs> All right. If earth rotated slower, nights would be colder, days would be hotter. We wouldn't live, is what basically the book says. We wouldn't live. It, would just be, it, would, it, it wouldn't be uh, habitable, if that's a word. If Earth rotates faster, winds would, would increase. In fact, Jupiter has winds of 1,000 miles an hour. 1,000 miles an hour. How, how fast is a tornado? I don't know. Hurricane? How fast? 100? Yeah, 100 plus? Yeah, okay. 1,000. That would cause a problem, in, I think. I think it would. If the Earth rotated faster, higher winds, slower, get really cold, the heat would be a problem, the cold would be a problem, we would die. All right. Speaking of Jupiter, uh, since Jupiter has this fast winds, I was reading that Jupiter, we could put 1,320 Jup- um, Earths in Jupiter. So you could put 1,320 Earths inside of Jupiter. You're like, who cares? I say it matters. Uh, did you know that uh, I was reading that it so happens to be really important to have a really big planet in your solar system. I was reading this. I don't know what you guys read this week, but that's what I was reading. <laughs> really important. In fact, Jupiter is so big that its gravitational pull is 318 times stronger than Earth's. Interesting. Who cares? So, it in effect sucks in asteroids like a Dyson vacuum sucks in Lego pieces off my boy's floor <laughs> is what it does, all right? Scientists say that we would get hit by thousands of times more asteroids if it weren't for Jupiter's convenient and coincidental presence in our solar system. (laughs) Aren't we lucky? (laughs) Aren't we lucky? Convenient and coincidental. Did you know if the moon were bigger, you know, the moon, whichever side the, the moon is on of the earth, it pulls the water that direction. That's called a tide, if you didn't. If you forgot that from, from junior high, that's how the tides are happening. And then when the earth rotates, the tide goes to the other side because it's the side of the moon. If the, if the moon were bigger, then we would face massive tidal waves, making life on the coasts impossible and causing a whole lot of other problems. If the moon were smaller, it wouldn't churn the waters enough to keep it clean, and then disease and other things would, would uh, run rampant. It's interesting how perfect the size of the moon is oh and we could talk about the distance of the moon and we could talk about the distance of each planet and we could talk about the the angle of the i mean there's lots and lots and lots and lots of cool factors but the fact is all in all many 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 things have to fall just perfect for life to be livable here on earth and uh, right now scientists are up to about 150 things actually now in 1960 the list was two Two things had to fall into place, and those were we had to have pretty much the right kind of sun, and we had to be the right distance from it, and then life was possible, so one in 10,000 planets were capable of life 
back in the 1960s. Carl Sagan had a big old write-up on that, really impressive, until they started finding some more things. And now they're at 150, and the list is going to continue to grow. And if any one of those 150, the first one, the 31st one, the 131st one, or the 150th one goes wrong and it's not perfectly in place, the whole thing falls apart and you have to start over for life to be possible. A Cambridge mathematician uh, who happens to be Shaler Smith's favorite mathematician, Shaler has a poster of this guy on his wall. He's on a chalkboard writing numbers and letters. It's like he's his favorite. His name is John Lennox. Do you have a favorite mathematician? You ought to have a favorite mathematician. Because again, Shaler does. John Lennox said that just to meet some of the requirements, he didn't even try to approach all 150 of them, but to meet some of the requirements for life on earth, not all of them, but just some, be, the number would be 10 to the 40th power. That's 10 with 40 zeros. That's a lot of zeros. I mean, start thinking about that. Start adding zeros until you forget what the name of the number is. Okay, we got hundreds, we got thousands, add three more, we got millions, and we got billions. I forgot what's after billions. I mean, it's like trillions, okay, what's, I'm forgetting. Anyway, keep adding a whole lot more zeros. To reach that kind of number, again, this is just part of what it would take for, for life to be sustainable. He said that it would be 10 to the 40th power, and 10 to the 40th power looks like this. A sharpshooter, a sniper, takes aim at a target the size of a coin from the other side of the observable universe 20 billion light years away and hits it bullseye. That's 10 to the 40th power. Now, you forgot, light is 186,000 miles per second. If you turn the light, if you flash your, you know, if you could possibly do this, light could travel around the world seven and a half times in a second. We are lucky. Man. Now, just for fun, I want to do one more because I promise I've got time for the rest of it, but this is for the youth over there that are really interested in apologetics and stuff. That's hard to understand the whole bullseye thing from 20 billion light years, so this will be a little bit more easy to understand. Caltech astrophysicist Hugh Ross illustrates the same odds, 10 to the 40th power, and oh, by the way, the real odds are probably 10 to the 73rd power. So add 33 more zeros. I mean, it's huge. It's crazy. So what I'm about to tell you doesn't even, I mean, literally doesn't even scratch the surface of what the real numbers are. But just for the sake of getting our head wrapped around it, listen to this. This is a guy, Caltech, uh, Hugh Ross, uh, astrophysicist. He says, Ross tells us to imagine covering every square inch of the surface of North America with dimes. Okay? Once that's done, put on another layer. Take your time. Now, put on another layer and then another, and oh, by the way, one more, and then you continue this exercise until the dimes reach the height of the moon, which is at 238,000 miles up, all right? This should constitute rather a large number of coins. Understatement of the year, all right? But we're far from finished. Once you've covered all of North America to the height of the moon with dimes, do exactly the same thing on another billion continents of the same size as North America, if you are unable to locate that many other continents of that size, he's practical. I mean, sometimes astrophysicists aren't practical, but he is. If you're unable to locate a billion other continents of that size, simply imagine doing that. Now, randomly choose one dime in those billion, 238,000 mile high piles, paint it red, and put it back in the pile. Then blindfold a friend, no peeking, 
and ask him to pick out one of the coins from one of the billion continent sizes that are 238,000 miles high, piled of dimes. The odds of him picking out the red dime on the first shot are 10 to the 40th power. Feel free to gulp and be amazed. Aren't we lucky? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, sometimes when you learn something new about God, it gives you something new to worship him for. That's what Des talks about when he says, grow your mind, grow your heart. And then when you worship him for something new, then you're like, you know what? I love that guy so much. I love that God. I want to go learn something new about him. And it just keeps going. So if you find yourself uh, dry, sometimes there's dry spells. Sometimes there's dry seasons. Sometimes you're just not learning. Sometimes you just need to read a book. Sometimes you just need to blow your mind. Let the Lord blow your mind so that you have some fresh things to worship for. If you go back to the Bible again this week and it's the exact same thing that you read last year, it's because you haven't grown. Because the Bible changes. Oh, no, it doesn't change. But the way I see it and the things that reflect off the page, it's like the the rabbi says, it's like a uh, 72-faceted gem. Every time you turn it a little bit, it's just a different way of refracting that light. It's like, oh, I never saw that in that passage. So if you go back to the passage again and it's the same as it was last time you read it, you probably haven't grown. Because when we grow, we come back to the text and something else is illuminated because he works with what he's got. And if we're not growing, then we're the same thing we were last time. That's free. You guys can take that or leave it. All right, so we just looked out into space. You could actually turn it around and look inward. Go in, look at the dragonfly wing. It's amazing. Look at the, the, the eyeball of a fly. Look at the human cell. And it goes infinitely that way. It goes infinitely this way. It's amazing. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Who's, who's the God I chose? Ah, God, of the, the maker of heaven and earth. Don't just pass that over. You serve, it's a big one. It's a big God. Not the Asherah pole God or not the Baal God or not your friend. <laughs> That's not your helper. God's huge. All right, verse 3 and 4. Let's read this one. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Foot be moved. Okay, remember this is a pilgrim's psalm. They're on a journey, so this makes sense. Foot be moved. It's, it's important to remember that. But, it, but basically it tells me is God's going to prevent harm in the now. He won't let my foot be moved. He won't let me slip, as the other translation says. He'll not be slumbering. God is a full-time helper. It's not a part-time job with God. He's a full-time helper. For you individually, absolutely. For you, for our nation, Absolutely. Here it talks about the person, the traveler, and then it talks about Israel. Aren't you glad that God is your helper, but he's also our national helper? Now, are everybody turning to him? No. But I'm glad that he works on national levels and world levels as well as individual levels. Now, I have no time to talk about Elijah and Mount Carmel, uh, but, you know, remember, all they're doing their sacrifices, and, and they're like, well, Elijah's like, well, maybe they're napping. Maybe your God's napping. Just yell a little louder. You know, maybe, maybe you need to slash yourselves more to get his attention and, you know, what? our God's not napping. Our God does never slumbers, and so the scriptures tell us that. I also don't have time to go into very much detail, but the scripture says you're the apple of his eye. Um, it's, a, it's a Hebrew metaphor. It basically says, like, 
the apple of the eye is like the pupil of your eye. If you look at your eyeball in the mirror today, it looks like an apple. If you're looking at it on end with the the stem facing you, if you look at it like that, like an apple like that, it looks like your eye. Get the pupil, get the eye. Look in the mirror and you'll be like, yeah, that kind of does look like an apple. So the Hebrew metaphor, whenever it says, like when God says you're the apple of his eye, and then the scripture says that he's not slumbering, he's watching you all the time. Um, it's, it's speaking the fact that you're right in the middle of his radar. You're right in the middle of his gaze. And he's not going to fall asleep on you. Other gods do, if they were even real. But not this one. So he will not let your foot be moved. Very practical. He who keeps you will not slumber. Praise God. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. That's enough for verse 3 and 4. If verse 1 and 2 talked about God's provision of help, Verse 3 and 4 talks about God's prevention, prevents you from falling, prevents danger from happening. Verse 5 and 6, let's read that one. You guys tracking? Am I boring you? I'm seriously asking, am I boring you? Okay. Before we do 5 and 6, why don't you play that video clip? I'm totally kidding. There's no video. I just needed a time to get a drink of water. But I love to see Mr. Beatty sweat. He was like. (laughs) All right. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. uh, Okay, I'm sorry. And then the the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. All right, verse 5 and 6. Keeper is used six times. Not an accident. I'm not going to go into that, but that's, he's your keeper. Shade on your right hand. All right, what is that all about? The right side has a lot of significance, okay? A warrior would have less protection on their right side. They hold their shield with their left, their sword with their right. So you'd have less protection on your right side. And so the Lord is saying, I'll be at your right side. I'll be your protector. Okay, it's interesting to say, I'll even go where you think you're strong, your, your sword hand, I'll even go there and I'll totally trump it and I'll be your protector, even on that side that you think you're so great at. A warrior would have less protection, therefore God says the right. God will come alongside of you like a, like a bride and a groom. Think about this, you've got the groom, I'll be the groom, and then in this day of uh, gender confusion, I need to specify that. I'll be the groom, this will be the bride, okay? All right, check this out. The bride puts out her right arm for the groom to take. Now, most of us are right-handed, most of us. And so our strong arm is our right arm. And so a bride is basically saying, I will give you my strong arm, and I'll trust you to protect me with yours. You ever see that? That's why you never walk this way with your girl down the road. You want to walk this way. So you can be her protector. And God says that I'll be your shade at your right hand. So the right is not accidental. Strength, his strength is ours. Also, if you were ever to visit a castle, and it's interesting that I talk about castles because another word for castle is a keep. You ever seen that? A keep? K-E-E-P. Well, the scripture talks about keep and how God keeps this, and he's a keeper of this. Six times it talks about it. A castle called a keep. If you ever visited a castle and you walk up the tower, you ever done one of those? Anybody hate walking up those things? (laughs) There's a lot of people. My wife is like not cool with those anymore. Lots changed since we had so many kids. She's she's now scared of heights and different things. Not scared, just scared to death, fearful. 
No, but she goes up. And, but I want you to notice that they actually spiral upwards in a clockwise manner. So if this is our, again, we'll use this. If this is our tower and we are, you know, there's, you're walking up the tower, it goes clockwise for a reason. And I only just point this out to say when the scripture says right, right side, it's not accidental. So if you just read over it and you don't know why, you ought to jump in and, and study it. Google it. We live in a day where you can find anything really quick. Just the main thing is just finding a decent source. And, and those you can get from Pastor Dan. So, you're, so check this out. In military, in a keep, in a tower, got this spiraling. If the bad guys were coming in and they were taking over your tower, they would eventually have to come up your tower. Okay? So they built them clockwise so that when they're coming up, their, their sword is on the right side up against this wall. It's really thin. Most of them are pretty thin. On the other hand, when you're protecting from the strong point, your sword is up here. Your shield is here, close to that person, but you're, you have all this room to slash and to, and to fight with where they are like this. <clears throat> Not accidental. Not accidental at all. In fact, if you find a castle that is counterclockwise, they were either dumb <laughs> or it was just built for tourists and it really wasn't to protect anybody. So I'm just saying that right... The right there has strategic meaning. And so when God says that uh, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand, that means something. He is, he's there, but not just there. He's upgrading your strength, and, uh, and it's not accidental. So verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. All right. Uh, sun shall not strike you by day. That seems... Pretty explanatory. We live in Texas. We know what it is for the sun to strike us by day. And so I don't have to explain that one. But the moon by night? The moon by night. I have, that, was, that was tougher. And some of you guys know, but I didn't. So I went to research. And the ancients believed that moonbeams could have harmful effects. Some commentaries say upon the eyes Maybe. They were talking about like if you find a Bedouin uh, and they're sleeping at night, they'll wrap a, a scarf or something around their eyes to protect them from the moonbeams. Maybe. I mean, I guess if you're out there without, where there were no lights and stuff, it might be pretty bright. But I've never really like been walking outside at night going, oh, it's so bright. I'm just fearful. Where are my glasses? I just, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't really feel that way. So I'm, maybe. Maybe. But a lot of others point to this. Some of our modern words actually give us clues to this, like the thought or the term being moonstruck or lunatic, lunatic, I mean, lunatic, okay. Uh, the ancients believed that moonbeams had an effect mentally, sometimes even demonically, upon a person. And so when, he pray, when, they, when he's singing or they're praising, the sun shall not strike you by day, obvious, it's a hundred in Texas out there, nor the moon by night, also a danger involved with the moon by night. Uh, basically what it's saying, night, day, whenever, God's there for you. Remember, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't leave, he doesn't take a break, it's 24-7. Aren't you glad God's with us 24-7? Yep. So you can be confident that the totality of time is addressed by God as he helps us. By the way, tonight, partial eclipse begins at 8.07. 
Total Eclipse begins at 9-11. Total Eclipse ends at 10-23. And the world comes to the end <laughs> whenever the Lord deems it <laughs> the right time. All right? <clears throat> Maybe tonight. So if you're not right with the Lord, get right. All right, so if verse 5 and 6, God is your protection. 1 and 2, he was your provision. 3 and 4, he is your prevention, prevents things, falling and harm. 5 and 6, he's your protection. 7 and 8. Okay, we're almost done. Anybody glad I didn't take Psalm 119 this morning? <laughs> like 178 verses. All right, so verse 7 and 8, again, well, let's read it first. It says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These are great promises. Again, the totality of time is mentioned, not just the current journey that you're on. You're singing this as a pilgrim going to Jerusalem, not just for this time, but more than that says the Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. Like for all life, you're kept. The Lord will keep your, your coming and your going. So not just totality of time. He, yeah, he helps us now, but he also helps us in totality of space. He helps us not just when we're coming, not just when we're going, not just here, not just there, everywhere. His help is of the highest quality. Your other options are not so high. But God's help is absolutely of the highest quality. So that's Psalm 121. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And a few thoughts in between. So does it apply to 2015? Absolutely. Does it apply to the United States of America? Does it apply to, what about Fort Worth? Fort Worth too? What about for you? Does Psalm 121 apply to you? Because again, you probably heard something in here that you didn't know. Or maybe you didn't know fully. You have to apply it. Because, again, we have to line ourselves up with the word of God. This dictates our action. Belief dictates action, not action belief. Some people live a life where they do what they want to do and then they find a, a religion or a, a thought process that will support their doing whatever they want to do. It's not how we live. This dictates our action. This dictates our thoughts. This dictates our words. And so when we read the scripture, when we read these eight verses, these are good things. I'm not, it's not asking us to like, you know, give up everything that we care about and, you know, put him first. Sometimes the scriptures are really hard to apply and they're like, this is like a promise. These are promises that are great. He's going to be there for you. He's going to protect you. He's going to prevent evil. He's going to provide. I mean, these are fantastic promises. But even then, we have to choose to receive them from the Lord. Because some people quite seriously are like, well, but not me, though. God, that God couldn't mean that for me still. Yes, for you in the United States, in Fort Worth, you. So receive it. Let's look again at Hebrew 2 and 4. I told you that's where we we're going to end up, and we are. Hebrews 2.18, having talked about help, having talked about the quality of help that the Lord offers, the quality of like the, the characteristics of his help. This is what he offers. Having talked about that, when it talks about help, we've now loaded the term to mean something, all right? Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered, Jesus Christ, no, no, no mistake here, because Jesus Christ suffered, 
when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Help. All that we just talked about. If you're being tempted, the Lord desires to help you through that. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, are you in time of need? I don't care what the variety is. Are you in a time of need? He wants to help you. He's promised to help you. And we just talked about how he would do that, the quality of help that he would offer. So as you lift up your eyes to the hills, from whence cometh your help? Question mark. Today, are you being tempted? Are you in need? As we lift up our eyes, realize that you've got options. There's one great one. You've got options of how to handle this, how to handle this temptation, how to handle this need. I hope you'll choose the maker of heaven and earth. He will not fail you. He will not fail us. Individually, nationally even. Now, I'm not ready to project all of Israel's promises on the United States of America. But as a nation, we don't get the privilege to just sit back and say, man, we're in a mess. Maybe this is the last generation. Maybe Jesus is about to come back. So I guess we just chill until he does. Not an option. It might be the last generation. And a lot of signs are pointing to that. But that's not what we get to do. Because the truth is, when I was reading, I found that there were some other generations that have looked pretty bad too. Listen to this one and tell me if it doesn't sound like some of the stuff we're going through. This is first century Rome, by the way. Okay, this is, this is what was going on when Jesus and the church entered the scene. Jesus first in the church. Tell me if this doesn't sound a little bit familiar. It has been rightly said that the idea of conscience, conscience as we understand it, was unknown to, the, to heathenism. Absolute right did not exist. That's relativism. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. There's no right, just whatever we want to do. Absolute right did not exist. Might was right. Whoever was stronger was right. The social relations exhibited, if possible, even deeper corruption. The sanctity of marriage had ceased. Oh, was that, did that not start in the 2000s? Oh, I forgot. I, I forgot that was it. The sanctity of marriage had ceased. Oh, now this is a, this is a mouthful. I'm going to have to explain what it means because if you're of my intelligence, I had to look up every word. Female dissipation and the general dissoluteness led at last to an almost entire cessation of marriage. Let me say that again. The girls were so unfaithful and lax and licentious and fill in the blank that marriage wasn't even possible. Like marriage had pretty much ceased because nobody like was faithful enough to even get married or even wanted to get married. So people weren't getting married. Now sometimes the guys are the problem, but this is like the girls have even reached this problem. Abortion and the exposure and murder of newly born children were common and tolerated. Unnatural vices, which even the greatest philosophers practiced and advocated, attained proportions which defy description. And it goes on and on and on. It talks about how they treated the poor, how they, what they did for sport and entertainment, and how it was all just so wicked. The, the philosophers of the day said it was utterly hopeless. You know, society could not reform itself. Philosophy and religion had nothing to offer 
et cetera, et cetera. Tacitus and Cicero and Seneca and all these philosophers, they're even going, I mean, they're not Christians. They're like, this is so messed up. This is just, I mean, we're just, there's no way around this. And then, it's first century Rome, and then Jesus enters the scene. And the church, after Jesus resurrects, sticks around, and we're still here. And we're still here. And so let me, my challenge today, in addition to what we've ever talked about, is we live in a messed up time. I mean, things are getting bad. And yet, as a church, we don't have the right to just sit back and say, well, man, it could be any day. And it could be any day. But, man, we just, oh, I wonder when the God's coming back. We're light. We're salt. We are God's answer to this problem. Will we recover? I don't know. Some societies have, some societies haven't. Look at Nineveh. A million plus people convert overnight. That's awesome. Jonah and the whale, the story, it really happened. It's not just a children's story. A million people and the Assyrians who were the worst. I mean, they were, I think they were worse than us, way worse. They converted. Of course, 150 years later, they fell again. You can read about that a few pages later, but they converted. Some societies make it, some, they, some don't. I'm just saying, we happen to live in 2015. I think Acts tells us that he put you in the place and the time that he wanted you and so we're here with a responsibility that, yeah, we live in a messed up time, but we have the responsibility to be light, be change, to help. Well, that's intimidating because the need seems so big. And yet, as we've already talked about today, the Lord says, I'll be your helper. So as you want to help, I'll be helping you. So as I provide for you, as I prevent you from harm, as I protect you, as I preserve you, I want you to now walk in the strength and the authority in your day and generation to make a difference. That's Psalm 121.